right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, time together as a church family where we can uh, sing to you and pray to you and now uh, open up your word together. We pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would help us understand what we read. We pray that you would help us apply it to our lives. So Lord, we give you this time. We pray that you would remove distractions, remove the uh, the things in our hearts that would, would lure us away and just, Lord, uh, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, hey, welcome once again to FBC. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. I just want to say that I'm so glad that you are with us this morning. I want to invite you to open up your Bible uh, or on your device, you know, smartphone, whatever. Uh, however you need to find John chapter 6, uh, verse 60. Uh, go ahead and join us there. We are continuing our sermon series where we've just been walking through the gospel of John little by little. And this is the end of chapter six. So we've spent about f- uh, four weeks. This is the fifth week now in chapter six. We've been talking a lot about bread and people hunger. Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's this extended discourse about bread and lunch and people want more bread. And now we're going to land the plane today with these last few verses in chapter six. You know, one of the reasons that we uh, preach through books of the Bible at FBC most of the time is that when we do it, it really forces us to consider uh, some difficult things in Scripture that maybe we would be tempted to skip or avoid, right? Some passages that are a little bit uncomfortable for us that we'd want to go around. We instead are are letting the Bible set the agenda for what we talk about, right? And so we march through the text, and it means that we, we can't just jump around to the sections that we like or are, you know, easiest for us to digest. We also have to look at passages that are going to confront us and be a little bit more difficult, some harder territory to cover, which uh, is what we find ourselves looking at this morning at the end of John chapter 6, right? You just saw a few moments ago as the passage was read out loud that many disciples leave Jesus. They turn back and stop following him because of his hard teaching, his offensive teaching even. Many are driven away, and people say, no thanks, and they go home. This is a heavy, sobering passage, a moment in the ministry of Jesus where things look fairly discouraging. You see how it begins in verse 60. We just heard part of it read aloud. The conflict is ramping up. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? So you notice the passage starts by looking back at what just happened, what came earlier in the chapter. The disciples say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? On hearing it, they say this. And so we wonder, well, on, on hearing what? What did they just hear? You know, and we look then at what Jesus has just been saying. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you've seen this kind of extended dialogue between Jesus and the crowds. Uh, At one point, it was across the Sea of Galilee, and now it's back in Capernaum. And Jesus has said a lot of provocative things. He's claimed to be the bread of life. 
He's claimed to come down from heaven. And the crowds are like, wait a minute, we know your parents, right? We know your mom and dad. We played kickball with you in the street growing up. What do you mean you came down from heaven? He says he'll give his flesh for the life of the world. He talks about his stun on him, unity with the Father. He talks about how in order to be saved, you have to look on him and believe. He even goes as far to say you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to be saved. And so the crowd, they're, they're grumbling. They're like, who is this guy? Where He's gone off his rocker. What is he talking about? And Jesus knows their hearts. He, he knows they're grumbling and that they're offended. Grumbling and taking offense is right something that we know a lot about today. That's you know regular in our culture. One pastor once said that uh, being easily offended is not a fruit of the Spirit. And he's right. But Jesus sees this grumbling. He sees that they're offended. And he's going to speak to it. Right? Verse 62. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And so Jesus responds, and he doesn't you know, answer every question that they have, but he actually reinforces some of the challenging things that he said previously. Right? Verse 62, he, he talks about ascending down to where he was before. And so he continues to kind of reinforce this idea that he came down from heaven. He was sent from the Father, saying, you can be offended by my words. But essentially, he's saying, one day you will see the Son of Man ascend once again. After the cross and resurrection, he'll once again be with his Father in glory. So you'll see that I have authority to say all of these things. And then verse 63 and 64, he talks once again about life. Oh, his words bring life. His words have been full of the Spirit. He's saying, you have to receive what I'm telling you in order to find life. But, he says, many of you do not believe. In fact, many of them are about to walk away. And all of this, you see, is simply too much for them. It leads to verse 66, which says, what well, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Let's just stop for a minute and try and picture the weight of this moment. Disciples turning back. Disciples going home. Followers of Jesus leaving and not wanting anything to do with Jesus any longer. And notice the text says it's not just uh, the feisty crowds, you know, the people on the fringes, and it's not just the religious we see that who were threatened, and you know, the Pharisees and the kind of bad guys in the text often that we see that way. No, it's what? It's disciples. It's, you know, men and women who maybe at some point were excited about Jesus at first. They were excited about the things he was saying, and they invited others to come along. Maybe they had some dreams about what Jesus would do in their lives or in their city. They made some kind of commitment to travel, to follow along, to be with Jesus, and now they're, they're throwing in the towel. They're going home, which shows us, right, that you can be in the crowd. You can be considered a disciple of sorts and follow along with Jesus for a time and still not fully be committed. 
And, you know, for a rabbi in the ancient world to have disciples leave them, abandon them, get close to them, and then say no thanks, I mean, that was incredibly shameful. It would bring dishonor upon Jesus. So it's this really heavy moment in the life of Jesus and his movement. And so we need to really drill down here and think about, okay, why? Why do the disciples leave? Not the 12, but this you know, again, bigger crowd of disciples. Why do they turn back? What was so hard, so offensive, so difficult for them that they said, nope, we're done. Belching of straw, we're going home. Again, the offensive teaching of Jesus came in a few forms. Okay, the first reason they can't get on board with what Jesus is doing is because of who he is claiming to be. Okay, that's the first clear issue in the text, who Jesus is claiming to be. Because he says what? He's bread from heaven. He came down from heaven. And they, they were grumbling just a few verses back in verse 42, right? Because he claimed to come down from heaven as the bread of life. Again, we know you. We know where you came from. We know your parents. How can you make such a claim? Not only this, but he points back to the Exodus story, right? The, the book of Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea and the wilderness and how God provided for his people there. And he, he's talking about Moses and pointing back to all of this, essentially this a defining moment in the life of the people of Israel. And he's saying, hey, something even bigger is here. Something even greater is here. Someone greater than Moses, a greater prophet, a greater king. And the people can't handle who he's claiming to be. In the same way, today we have difficulty accepting who Jesus is claiming to be. He's claiming to be God himself. He's claiming to come down as heaven, to be God in the flesh. I mean, let's be honest, many of us are willing to accept Jesus as, a, again, a, a teacher, a religious sage, an uh, interesting historical figure, but to come to grips with the claim that Jesus is God himself, the creator of the universe, the one to whom we owe our complete devotion, the commitment of our lives, our full obedience. I mean, for many of us today, right, there's no more offensive message than saying, there's one God and you are not him. Right? We've heard that line. There's one God and you are not him. And that's just a, a, not a problem for, you know, like the culture, the world, people out there. It's a problem for us, right? We all wrestle with this reality that Jesus claims to be in charge. He claims to have authority to direct our lives, that we are to obey, we are to surrender. We're all so bathed in this mindset that Life's about us, right? Whether we realize it or not, we want to be in charge. We're rugged Western individualists who make decisions and shape things how we want, and, and we're in charge, and no one tells you how to live except for you. And then comes along Jesus. He claims to be the king. He calls us to obey and surrender. He says, whoever wants to come after me, not must uh, not find themselves and fulfill themselves, and I'm going to grant all your wishes, but whoever must come, would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And take up his cross, meaning you have to go and die. To follow Jesus is an invitation to come and die, die to self, 
deny yourself and, and find new life in him. Pastor Matt Smethurst put it this way, the world says, follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. The world says, believe in yourself. Jesus says, believe in me. The world says, discover yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. The world says, be true to you. Jesus says, be true to me. We've joked before about this, this really hard teaching, this hard call to surrender, to deny yourself, to follow Jesus. And said, maybe we need to change our banners out front. You know, they say, good news out there. Maybe we need you know, to be a little you know, truer to Scripture. We need to change them to say, uh, FBC, deny yourself and die. You know, that's like the invitation on the building. Deny yourself and die. Come follow Jesus. Do you think that would, you know, draw the crowds in? Would that work? I don't know. We'll, we'll try. But that's what Jesus says, right? It's, it's not just about you. He's, he's in charge. And this is, where, this is where really the rubber is going to meet the road for each of us. Not just theory, not just, you know, knowledge about Jesus, but when we make decisions, as we live our lives and, and chart out our days and decide how to spend our time and spend our money, how are we going to live? Will we follow the way of Jesus or will we follow our own ways, right? Will we shape our life by the gospel and the ways of Jesus and God's word or will we pick and choose what we want to obey and what seems right to us? Because Jesus will call us, whoever you are and whatever your background, Jesus will call us to live in a way that initially we're not going to like. Initially, there's going to be some, some friction, some, some challenges there. Right? Jesus calls us to love our neighbors. Think about that. He calls us to love our neighbors, to even love our enemies. Like, it's hard enough for me to love my family. What do you mean love my enemies? I mean, enemies? People who don't like me? Jesus says, yeah, love them too. Love and serve and give your life away for the good of your neighbors even your enemies, even people who don't like you, people who don't look like you or think like you or act like you, I want you to go and love them and lay down your life for them. Like, I'm not really sure I want to do that, Jesus. Jesus calls us to sure care for the poor and the vulnerable. And we often say, well, well, I'm not sure I want to do that. It's more convenient to, or more comfortable, right, to keep my resources to myself. Thank you very much. And I have things going, you know, pretty well. And so why do I have to be so concerned or spend time thinking or worrying or investing in the lives of those who need help? It's easier to just keep our distance. Or Jesus tells us to forgive, right? Forgive as we have been forgiven. God in his grace has forgiven us and he calls us then to be people of forgiveness. But sometimes it feels pretty good to hold a grudge, to be bitter, to not let things go. Jesus calls us to forgiveness. We say, I'm not really sure I want to do that. Or Jesus says, God's word makes it clear that we're not to gossip. But frankly, some of us like to gossip. Or we could go on and on, right? We could just keep talking about all the things that the Bible calls us to and say, we actually have a hard time with that often. The big three we often talk about are our, our time, our money, and our relationships. Those are kind of the three biggest categories where this most often comes up. How do we spend our time? How do we spend our money? And how do we order our relationships, especially in the area of, of sexuality? Let's be honest, gender and sexuality is a huge topic today that, that many of us are having a difficult time sorting out. We want to kind of shape these categories in ways that maybe seem or feel right to us, or there's cultural pressure in some ways. 
But Jesus comes along and shows us in his word how these things are to be seen and understood. Again, we have a choice with all these different topics. Will we surrender? Will we obey? Will we follow Jesus and his ways? Not because he desires to kill our joy and just submit to me and we're going to lead this, this joyless, sad, small life, but because we believe that God actually desires us to find joy and true life in him. And we get deceived thinking that life is found in all these other categories, all these other ways, when really true life is found in him, true freedom is found in him and in his ways. But many of us have a hard time with that, right? And again, all these different categories, and instead we're just like, you know what, I'm out. This is asking too much, calling me to surrender too much. I want to do things my own way. Now, the other, so the other big hurdle people can't get past, they can't get on board with Jesus' claims about salvation, okay? So they're having a hard time with who Jesus is claiming to be, come from heaven, king, authoritative one, but he's also claiming some certain things about salvation, not just who he is, but what he came to do, right? Just before this, he's talking about what? Eating his flesh and drinking his blood, this, this graphic depiction of trust and receiving him, saying you have to look on the Son and believe. You have to look to me to have life. And that was offensive to them. I mean, they had the law, they had the Torah, they had the sacrificial system. In their mind, for the Jews, they had an understanding of how righteousness and forgiveness and things work. And he's kind of uh, re-explaining those things to them, saying, actually, you need to trust in me. You cannot save yourself. The only way to find eternal life and be saved and raised up at the last day is to believe in Jesus. Now again, that's, that's hard for a number of reasons. One of which is that is a, uh, not the kind of salvation maybe the people in his day were most looking for. Right? They wanted uh, a, a political leader, a military leader. They wanted someone who would come and throw off those pesky Romans and let you know, the Jews be in charge again. Let's establish an earthly kingdom with, with temporary benefits. And, you know, even before we're wanting bread, they wanted things now. And Jesus is coming to say, hey, your biggest problem is not out there. It's not the Romans. It's not some political situation. Your biggest problem is in your heart. And I've come to deal with your sin and die for your sin and change your heart. So that's where we need to start. And they're like, oh, I'm not sure we really like that so much. Also, they take objection to this because really in here is the idea that salvation has to be received as a gift. It's not earned, worked for. And in our pride, we like to think, well, hey, we're going to figure it out and we're going to dig ourselves out of this hole and we're going to make things right. We don't like to think that we have to be rescued. We don't like to think that we have to be saved. We don't like to think that our sin is so bad it separated us from God. That we're worthy of, of judgment. But in the gospel, we see that Jesus comes and does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We can't earn it. We're, we simply have to receive it. We're saved by grace through faith. Now, the other part of this that's hard today, that would cause some disciples to turn back, especially for us today, is that this is an exclusive claim. Maybe you're you know, sensing this already as you're, as you're listening to this. Jesus is saying, in order to have eternal life, you have to come to me. There's no other way. There's no other bread 
No other source of salvation. He says, my flesh, my blood given for you. That's the way. He says what in verse 53, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Maybe hear that and say, well, Jesus, isn't that a little narrow? Or Jesus, maybe you need to be a bit more open-minded. Jesus, maybe you need to be uh, a little more tolerant to the fact that there's more ways than just your way, Jesus. Right? Some of us would hear that and we would think that's, that's too narrow, that's too difficult. But Jesus says very clearly, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Again, then many would hear this and say, well, then I guess Jesus doesn't uh, meet my standards for uh, inclusion or tolerance or doesn't um, meet my definition of love. And so I'm, I'm going to walk away. Now, the only qualifier I'll add here is that hey, some of us have been in unhealthy church situations or cults or abusive homes and we've walked away from a version of the faith. We didn't reject Jesus, but maybe you rejected a, a twisted view of Jesus. Okay, and so maybe you were made to feel like in that moment, in that decision, you were abandoning the truth or abandoning Jesus. But really, you were just abandoning a distorted version of the truth. And Jesus manipulative, unhealthy environment. See, it's one thing to understand Jesus correctly, understand what he is saying and, and not liking it, and so you walk away. That's one thing. That's the error that we're really looking at today. But it's, it's another thing to walk away from a, a toxic, uh, pseudo-imitation Christian culture that isn't actually teaching what Jesus taught and needs to be abandoned. Okay, so there's, there's a difference here. And the question of how, how do we know which is which is really we get back to Scripture, right? We keep looking to God's Word and what it says. We, we read it together. We read it in community. We talk about it. We seek to discern what Jesus actually said and differentiate it from things that maybe, um, again, unhealthy, abusive, manipulative places have twisted the words of Scripture. Jesus responds to all this. Look again at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Many disciples turned back and Jesus turns to the twelve. says, do you want to leave too? The challenge to them, right? a, a pretty loaded question, right? right? Are, you, are you guys going to leave with the crowds too? Do you want to go as well? Come. I don't think Jesus would be invited to speak at a lot of our modern-day church growth conferences, right? People are leaving. He's like, hey, you guys too? You guys going too? Anyone else? Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't look at the crowds walking away and say, wait, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I know it came off a little bit harsh, but it's not so bad if you think about it this way. Let me nuance it a little bit. Or I can make an exception if you guys just stick around. Or I can whip up some more bread. You guys are hungry, right? I can do the bread thing again. Just come on back. I'll soften it a bit. I'll lower the bar. Like, just come back, please. Right? 
doesn't say that. He's, he, he lets them go. You know, I was watching a, a documentary recently about Scientology on Netflix. Anyone seen that? Okay, it's fascinating, terrifying, wild. Okay, it's a this picture into this cult and, and how they operate. And there's so much, if you watch it, you know, there's so much fear and manipulation and pressure for people to not leave. There's threats and lies and, and gimmicks and intimidation all to get people to stay. It's like they're, they're trapped in it. And it shows right away that it's, it's not of God because if it, if it was, you wouldn't have to use human pressure and manipulation to get people to stay. And so now with Jesus, a completely different way. He doesn't manipulate anybody. Okay, if you want to leave, you can leave. Right? I mean, for the church too, right? We, we don't practice manipulation. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 put it this way. He said, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, then he goes on. He said, hey, what we do, we set forth the truth plainly. We hold out scripture, and here's what Jesus said. And here's what it means, without deception, without tricks, without gimmicks, it's up to you how you respond, right? And those who want to come to Christ and enjoy him, put their faith in him, great. Come and receive. And those who don't, those who want to leave, let them go. All the buildup of this moment, this hard teaching, it's offensive, disciples leave, Jesus turns to the 12, you too. It's the climax of the narrative here. How are they going to respond? How are the 12 going to respond? Verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, I have not chosen you, the 12, yet one of you is the devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So the last few verses there aren't the most uplifting note. Okay, 70 and 71. After some encouraging words from Simon, Jesus says, hey, one of you is a devil, talking about Judas. And maybe we wonder, like, why does, you know, Jesus turn and talk about Judas there? Maybe, again, it just shows his, his supernatural awareness of what's going on. He knows our hearts. Or maybe he's, you know, showing the, the danger of apostasy for even those in the camp or closest to him. Or shows that even Jesus faced opposition from those closest to him. He had a number of reasons he closed there. But what I want to look at more closely is verses 68 and 69 and, and Peter's response. Jesus, hey, do you guys want to leave too? And he says, just truly some of the most beautiful words in all the scripture, some of my favorite verses here. Peter, as he often does, speaks up and he speaks for the group. And he says what? Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know you're, you are the Holy One of God. You, Jesus, are who you say you are. You are the Messiah. And we believe. What a beautiful statement. Just say, where, Lord, where else are we going to go? Like if, if not you, where, where can we turn? Who will we follow? Who can give us what you can give us? Who can provide what, what you can provide? Others will try Right? Other causes, other leaders, other authors will try to tell you what is true and, 
explain the real problems in the world and how to fix them and give their new solutions and maybe even give you a new community of people to be a part of and belong to and causes to fight for. But none of these other leaders died for your sins and rose again and offers you eternal life. So Peter simply says, where else are we going to go? If we left, where would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And I love this so much because P- Peter sees this, makes this powerful declaration. But, but we know Peter, right? We know our, our, our brother Peter, that he, he's, a, he's a work in progress, right? If you know much about Peter, you know what? He's, he's impulsive, the brother's bold, and the brother often gets things wrong. Right? And he says things that aren't, aren't right. Jesus at one point is going to call him Satan. Right? True story. It's in there. Um, but I love this moment with Peter because, and, and I pray this would be true of many of us, Peter's still clearly in process. Right? There are all, all kinds of questions still to be answered. And maybe clearly that he have are things that he still misunderstands. But he can clearly say, Jesus, I've seen enough to know there's no one like you. I've seen enough to know that you are in a category all your own. No one else can provide the words of eternal life. And so even if I don't understand things perfectly right now, even if I don't understand exactly how this works, or I still have questions about this, or I still have some doubts I need to learn or work through or figure out, or I don't know, even with all of that, I can say, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. There's nowhere else I can turn. I'm sticking with you, and I will follow, and I will learn your ways, and I'm going to continue to ask questions and try and figure out why you say this or why you call us to this or whatever it is that doesn't make sense, but there's nowhere else to go. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Through this beautiful confession of faith. And so, here's the deal. When we walk through Scripture, we don't always like these, these harder teachings, these points of, of conflict or tension or things that maybe make us a little bit uncomfortable, but they're necessary because conflict creates clarity. Right? Conflict creates clarity. And so it's necessary with, with Jesus because conflict reveals our hearts. When Jesus turns up the heat and he confronts us, you know, the flattery, the false motives, the temporary desires, whatever they may be, are burned away and we see. Right? We see what's really going on in our hearts. We see really what we believe, really where we're at. So picture again this, this whole scene Jesus' hard teaching, all this pushback, people are offended, this large crowd, many of them labeled disciples. Through this conflict, through this hard teaching, the result is that some are driven away, while others remain and are even more committed, right? Conflict creates clarity. Some, through the hard teachings of Jesus, are going to be driven away, and their hearts will be shown for what they are, where others will be drawn closer to Jesus, to a deeper commitment to him. And so realize this, that our commitment to Jesus will not be tested 
in the moments where we hear all the things that we like to hear. Right? Our commitment to Jesus will not be tested when we hear all the things that we enjoy or come natural for us to hear or that are, are easy for us to accept. That's not where our commitment to Jesus will be tested. Our commitment to Jesus will be tested when we come across things that Jesus says that we don't like. That conflict is going to create clarity in our hearts when we come across things Jesus says that we don't like. Because then we're going to have to really answer the question, do we really believe that Jesus is Lord and King and Savior and I'm going to surrender to him and his ways? Or will we say, well, I don't really like that or like this, and so I'm going to actually do things my own way? Do we want Jesus as long as he doesn't ruffle our feathers and cause us to rethink things? And I heard a pastor once say that if you want to know someone's true level of spiritual maturity, tell them no. If you want to know how mature you are, how committed you are, however you want to put it, see how you respond when you're told no. Or when you are told things that that you don't like. When you don't get what you want. When things are difficult. That's when you will truly see where your heart is. And so friends, we together this morning have a chance to, to come to Jesus, to once again uh, affirm our commitment to him, our belief in him as we celebrate communion together. And so as you came in, you should have received the, the communion elements. Now would be a time to grab those. Communion has, has been throughout the history of the church, this way that, that Christians... Uh, Once again, remember the work of Jesus, his broken body on the cross, his shed blood on the cross for you and for me. He told us uh, to do this in remembrance of him. And so uh, on the first and third Sundays here at FBC as a church family, we come to the table, we take the elements to remember Christ. And so I'm going to spend just a brief minute in prayer here to prepare us, uh, and then we'll take the elements together. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we just want to really echo the words of Peter and say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe that you are the Holy One. of. We have, Jesus, there's no one like you. And and even if we have have doubts or questions or or things we're still working through, we, we just once again come to you and say there's no one like you there's nowhere else we can turn Jesus and so we look to you with with empty hands and pray that you would teach us and lead us guide us thank you Lord that you gave your life your flesh Lord the bread of life for the life of the world and so we look to you now and believe In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, 
After supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.